You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host... Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Today on the show, I am going to talk with Ivan Bebek about the current state of the global mining industry, where the market for precious metals is going, especially with respect to the increase in renewable energy and the potential investment opportunities of the mining industry. Now, Ivan has over 20 years of experience in the financing, foreign negotiations, and acquisitions in the mineral exploration industry. He was formerly the president, CEO, and co-founder of Caden Resources, which turned around and sold for $205 million back in 2014. Today, he serves as the director of the board of three different mining companies. We're going to bring him onto the show in just a minute, but first, I have a minor apology to make. While recording this interview, something happened to my microphone, and the audio was made essentially unusable. Luckily, I always record using two microphones recording in two different places. My audio after this introduction is actually my backup audio using the microphone I started this podcast with, so it's a little bit of a blast from the past, but you may notice a slight decrease in my audio quality. With that out of the way, let's go ahead and bring on our guest, Ivan Bebek. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Alex. Oh, I'm just glad to have you. I mean, I was looking at your resume and you've got all kinds of fun stuff here. But for someone who isn't looking at your resume at the moment before recording this interview, would you mind going a little bit into your background and what it is you do? Sure. Well, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a serial explorationist. What does that mean in, in more layman terms? Myself and my team and my partners, we're looking for some of the largest mines in the world. We're looking for gold, silver, and copper mines to, to try and answer the demand that's coming on the base and precious metals in the coming markets. So we've been doing this myself personally for over 20 years. The geologists in our group come from some of the largest mining companies in the world. And it, it truly is a treasure hunt that has the ultimate reward at the end of the stick. If you get the reward right, it's like winning a lottery, finding a gold mine, which we've done once before. And we were doing it a second time until the company bought us. Our whole track record relies upon past successes. You know, when you look at this industry, you have to look at what we've done previously. We are two for two, and we're now swinging bigger than we've ever swung before. I'm trying to find some of the largest mines that have ever existed on the earth. So to be clear, when we're talking about finding the mines. We're talking like some straight up Indiana Jones, but instead of trying to find the Ark of the Covenant, it's a couple million ounces of gold, silver, copper, and all that good stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I dress up as Indiana Jones for Halloween for the exact same uh, correlation or the analogy you just used. But you know, ultimately, we found a 5 million ounce gold mine in our first company. And at the time, gold was around $1,200 an ounce, which was about uh, $7 billion worth of gold or six, sorry, $6 billion worth of gold. In terms of our second company, we went to go do the same thing because 5 million ounces of gold tends to be the magic number for big companies to come and take you out and, and look to add that to their production supply and growth, right? In terms of what we're doing here now or what I'm doing today is this has become fun more than work. I'm doing this by choice. I could manage my portfolio and be a great investor like many others out there, but the team is really strong and the ambitions are much higher. We're actually looking for an equivalent of gold, no matter what metal I talk about, 
a 10, 20, 30 million ounce gold discovery. And so we've gone from the lotto to the super lotto, if that makes sense, you know, in, in American terms of the supranational lotto, that's what we're after here. And we've also looked at state of industry, which has changed dramatically over the last 50 years. Everything that's been easy to find that's been sticking out of the ground has been found and it's being mined today. So we're looking in the corners where, yeah, it takes a bit of deep space science to get into some of these things. I'm, I'm using you know analogies there, but to go and make these discoveries. And that means that whatever you find is going to be worth a lot more than it would have been worth 20 years ago based on the actual rarity of these big discoveries. So that's what we're up to as a group. We are led by geoscientists. These are the geologists. These are the guys that do the real heavy lifting. And these guys and women that do this come from some of the top companies in the world. Their pedigree and resumes are the ones that make me and my partners look good on the financial side. I have a financier background. I am a guy that has raised all the capital for these guys to go drill the holes. But together, we have an incredibly balanced team. And and that's the effort. That's the team and a bit of the track record. Okay. So- We talked a lot about gold, but is gold the only thing you look for or are there other metals as well? No, no. It's, you know, gold is, I'm a gold bug. You know, that's how I got into the business. I fell in love with gold in 1999 and I've been investing into it since. And for me, you know, size matters and copper is probably as important as the air you and I are breathing right now. And it's used in every single car, every single house, every single building and the new green plans that you're seeing globally, green initiatives They involve so much more copper than we have. If you take the actual electric car population on the planet, which is about 3% saturation and you double it, there's no copper left in any producing copper mine on the planet. So that's a big check mark of metal to go after because it's going to be worth a lot more in 10 years from now than it's worth today. Silver is the number one performing equity. It's highly leveraged in terms of its price performance. It trades at a ratio to gold. What does that mean? It means that at certain points in time, silver will be closer in price point to gold, not, not to be another $1,800 an ounce. That's not what I'm talking about, but it should go up three or four times its current price or 25 times to close the gap on the valuation difference between that and gold. It's at the low end of that or the big, bigger gap right now. Silver, for some reason, has always carried a better equity performance, even on the smaller discoveries than a lot of gold discoveries. I think the size of a silver mine and the the richness or the grade of the silver mine are are quite unique. They're a lot harder to find. And there's also industrial applications to it. You're seeing it in solar panels used quite heavily. It has two sides of the demand, both financial as well as industrial applications. And lastly, one that's not talked about a lot is nickel. Nickel is used heavily in batteries. It's another metal that's very tough to find. So We've got copper, nickel, gold, and silver covered by our group of companies. And we've spent the last five years and over $100 million, which we raised to go and find the real estate that might host copper, gold, nickel, and silver type of discoveries that could meet that world scale to rank as the top 10 or top 20 mines in the world. And that's what we are about as a group. And those are why those metals. Gold has got its natural reaction. If you believe in the, the debt bubble that's out there right now, if you've got your own personal debt and it's gone up in the last year during COVID, if you believe the economy is not as strong as the Dow is advertising and there's going to be a correction in inflation at some point, a very, very good hedge against all of that concern or all of that potential growth, uh, you know, future that happens is going to be buying into gold, gold physically, gold equities. There's a bull market coming 
for the metal market. We've waited for over a decade for this market to really kick off. We've had some false starts in the gold market. We've seen the US economy and other economies do extremely well you know, in the last 20 years. And so we're kind of coming to this big shift back towards metals, not just for supply and demand, but most importantly for the hedge against inflation that looks like it could be rampart at some point in the coming couple of years in front of us. Well, I got to say, that is a lot of fantastic information. And in fact, you actually beat me to the first question, which is going to be why invested precious metals. So I think you beat me a little bit there. Yeah, I think I, I think it's, you know, for me, I'll simplify it for you and everyone listening. Um, we need them as a planet. We're running out. And that's the general sense. And I think that the only thing I'll say with gold, it's a huge hedge off inflation. It's used in jewelry. It's got its own purpose. It's been there for thousands of years. And usually the debate comes down to Bitcoin versus gold and cryptocurrencies. I've got a lot more comfort with hard assets. I missed the Bitcoin wave. I had every opportunity to buy into that crypto world, but I've also watched some friends lose substantial amounts of money where they've either lost passwords or people have stolen their coins from them, you know, from cyber fraud. I like hard assets. I love equities that revolve into metals or a, a direction of market that's becoming into higher demand. I like to buy things as a contrarian early. My only issue has been I've been a bit earlier probably than I'd like to be, but I think the future for metals has never been stronger. And you know, I think we've talked about it for a long time as an industry, but we're starting to see it firsthand with recent moves in all metal prices. So let me ask you this. You're actually the third miner I've talked to in the last probably six months. And y'all are all saying the same thing in that it seems we've been woefully unprepared or rather undermining for the past maybe five or 10 years. Do you think there's something to that? Because it seems like at our current rate of consumption, we're going to not quite run out of metals, but I mean, gold, silver, what you were saying about copper, the last interview I did was on uranium mining. It seems like we've been either under investing or just not really doing the exploring to find these mines that we really should have been doing. Am I on to something here? Or am I just pulling something you're out of thin air? You're on to a lot, actually. There's a couple factors. You know, first macro picture, you got to look at the population of the planet. I graduated high school in 1995. There is about three and a half, four billion people. Now we're pushing seven and a half billion people. So the actual audience, the actual population of the earth, the growth, the economic development is much, much bigger. It's doubled basically more or less. So the demand's gone up and then you've got to look at the metals. You ask the question, are, are we not exploring enough? Have we not? Well, because we've got bear markets and bull markets, like everything else in bear markets, people can't raise money for the most part. Very few people can. And so people stop looking. Major mining companies, they curtail all of their exploration efforts because they focus on their producing mines. They have to fix their bottom line. Debt profitability means more to them than supply because they need to accommodate themselves. They have to stay above water and stay in business, right? So what happens in bear markets is we lose that exploration spend. Now, the other thing that's happening in our industry is a lot of the legendary mine finders, guys who founded billionaires in our space, they're in their last cycle. You know, they're, they're getting into their 60s, 70 years of age. There's a huge generation gap. There's less of us that have the ability to finance to go do this. And thirdly, a point I made earlier is there was a lot of exploring, but all those easy mines have been found. Now, there's plenty of metal in countries like Kazakhstan. You see it across South America. There's parts of the earth, Africa, where you can go find a lot of metal. But you know, to go and finance the exploration to go do that, 
or furthermore, to get investors to, to support you to go do that because there has to be a return on investment, that's not plausible. It's actually getting harder versus easier geopolitically. And now we have to deal with COVID too, which is, creates an opportunity and it creates challenges as well in our industry. So the long and the short here is it's much harder to find the mines. There is a supply issue that we have not been able to address globally. And this huge green initiative, which we fully support, not because we're going to go find copper mines, but more so because we want our children, grandchildren to breathe clean air. We want to run efficient as a society. Every time you hear the word green, you have to think of pretty much every metal that's needed, right? With the exception of gold, which has its own place, but copper, nickel, silver, this is all towards green initiatives. And I'll tell you, Alex, we're not going to go back to the rudimentary kind of construction materials. We're going to go to more efficient ones and we're going to go towards redeveloping the US, Canada, and a lot of these countries globally. So China's had it right. They've been integrating across the world. I saw them in Africa. They sunk five, six billion dollars in infrastructure to build highways and bridges. I've seen it in Peru. And these are places that have huge copper endowment. And they're trying to secure as many metals and across many, you know, metal endowed countries as they can. So they not so they get a better price, so they get the supply control on, on the having first choice. They'll pay market price, but they just want the supply chains. So there's actually a bit of a hidden, I'm not going to call it a war. I don't like that word. It's inflammatory. I shouldn't have probably said it, but there's a hidden game going on or a challenge between all the nations globally for metals. You hear about it publicly in rare earth metals. You don't hear about it as much in base metals yet, but there is really a crunch time. And I've also with my group, but myself personally, I've had the chance to talk to some of the largest mining companies in the world. And I got a chance to hear where they're at. Are they exploring? Have they been exploring? Do they have a pipeline of growth projects to come online? And many of them, they don't, or they've been mothballed. They have to re-inspire those projects. And there's less geologists, less people to go do it. So, you know, it's a very compelling case. I've heard some really crazy predictions for metal prices in the next few years. It's a market that does not draw the generalist crowd until it becomes live and you see price movement, you see discoveries and these are just, it's taking longer, but it's getting closer to that crazy bull market in metals that should re-rate metals for, from this point on. Okay. So let me ask you this, just because I like bullying the US a lot. Is there a subcategory of, so we have mines that we know of, the mines that are open, we're out there, we're mining them, you know, we're starting to deplete those. And then there's yet to be discovered mines. Is there a subcategory in there of mines that we know about? but no one wants to touch for political reasons. And I say that because if you think of oil under Alaska, there's a ton there, but because of green initiatives and whatnot, we're not going to go touch it. Is there a similar situation in the U.S. where we know, hey, there's a gold mine here, there's a silver mine here, but it's not worth the five, six, seven years of approvals it's going to take for us to go in there and actually get it. Is there a category like that? Or is that a big thing? Or am I just making up something? No, no, you're actually right on to it. Um, environmental hurdles are big hurdles for mining companies, right? Even if you're going to go find a copper mine, there's a very, very famous mining project that my partner and I, he used to work with the group that discovered it. It's one of the largest copper gold discoveries on the planet. It's in Alaska. It's called the Pebble Project. And it's close by, but not impacting potentially salmon fisheries that are the heart of all the salmon that we all eat that come from the West Coast or from Alaska. And so it's faced 
tremendous opposition. I'm in the mining business and I'm a huge fisherman and I love eating organic salmon, right? So it's a paradox for me, but for many others as well. Personally, you know, I don't want to jeopardize water supply. I don't want to jeopardize food supply, not just for myself, but for anyone else. So there are certain resources within the U.S., which is very resource endowed as well. There are certain states that are challenging. You don't want to go build a mine in California. You'll get a lot of opposition towards that. You can't do it in the middle of a ski hill in Colorado either, where there could be huge resource endowment as well. I think as a last resort, we can revert to those metals. But what's actually out there that people commonly will challenge me on when I talk about supply and demand of the metals there's a lot of mines around the world that are low grade, meaning they're not they're not very rich, right? A very robust copper mine is generally in the rock, and each ton you see about one percent of the rock being copper. A and, and this is mining from surface. If you see half a percent of copper in each ton, that's a substantial mine. That's also a very good grade. But when you go down to 0.2.3, you now have to turn on that mine. It's going to cost you five or six billion dollars, and that's a low grade mine that needs very high copper prices to get in production. And this is where when we talk about a bottleneck of supply and demand, people say, well, there's all these low-grade mines that can come on if prices are high. They won't be financed for a while now. It'll just take a few years of higher prices for people to commit the five, $6 billion to build those mines. So everything has to do with time. Time is everything in an investment. Time is everything with supply and demand. We're not going to run out of metal in the next few decades to the point where we're completely dry. We're just going to have inflated metal prices, which is why it makes sense to be a metal investor at this time. And in terms of the U.S. and a lot of you know stored metal or stored value or targets or mines that can be built, there's no question. I think some of those mines in the U.S. will never make it to production because of the environmental sensibility. There have to be extreme efforts that would need that to change. And, you know, that makes the, the room a lot smaller and it makes mines more valuable. And, you know, it's, again, it's still getting a lot harder to find these things than it was 20 years ago. It's changing a lot because what's been found. So just to clarify, when we're talking about the grade of a mine, we're not talking about good quality copper versus bad quality copper. We're talking about, hey, we know there's copper there, but the question is how much copper is there? Low grade means that, hey, you know, it costs X amount, you know, several billions of dollars to make a mine, period. But the question is, is there enough copper there to justify that cost? Is that is that what we're talking about when, it, yeah, when we're talking yeah. about grade? Yeah, with, with grade, you're talking about how much rock around the copper is going to be waste rock. So how much return are you going to get on each ton of rock that you mine, right? Is majority of it waste, then it's going to cost you a lot of money and power specifically to move that waste rock and crushed rock to get the copper out of the rock, right? Uh, if I was to use an analogy of, um, let's think of a food that everybody eats and uh, you're trying to derive something, okay, if I'm going to make a cake, right? And you're going to go eat a cake and we're going to talk about how sweet the cake is, right? Well, the more sugar, the sweeter the cake. You know, and you don't need to eat as much if it's sweeter because it's very rich and one or two bites and you're fine. But if there's barely any sugar in it to get your sugar craving, you'd have to eat a whole whole lot more cake. I mean, in terms of the mining and the rocks, you're looking at rocks that have lower the metal content, they're less grade, they're not as rich. You need a lot more to get the end result. You take gold, which is a classic point. You know, how many tons of gold do you need to move to make one gold bar? And if it's high grade, you move 
half a ton. You can move a quarter of a ton if it's really high grade. If it's low grade, you might be moving 10 tons to make a gold bar. And so it's just efficiency and there's a, co- a capital cost of taking it out of the ground. You mentioned oil. Oil is very interesting because there is high quality, low quality oil, different types of oil that people look for that's cleaner and more pure, right? In terms of mining, it's not so much about quality, it's about quantity. And the higher the grade, the less quantity of waste, the the less rock you have to move, the more profitable the mine. Uh, Grade is king in the mining world. Anytime you hear anyone talk about mining and mining investment, always look for the grade first, and that's, that's gonna be king. So if I could add something onto your metaphor, we had, you know, there's so much amount of a sugar craving you have. And if you had to go and eat that cake, the cake either has really sweet, really rich, has a lot of chocolate or whatever flavor you want inserted here, it either has the sugar or it doesn't. And if it doesn't have as much, you got to eat more. The thing I would add on to that is that every time you go in and you get a piece with your fork, spoon, whatever you use, it costs you $5. So If, you, if you're trying to scratch that itch and get that sugar, do you want to buy like five or six spoon or forkfuls of cake or one? Or do you want to buy 40 spoons of cake or do you want to have three spoons of cake to get the same satisfaction, more or less the same? Uh, it works that way. You're, you're right on with it. The richer, gotcha. the better. Yeah. Well, of course, this is a finance podcast. The richer, the better. <laughs> so you get to Jeff Bezos and you just can't even get one spoonful. No, not even. You go to space if you're Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally out of this world wealth. <laughs> well said, well said. It's a horrible joke. Uh, dad jokes are what half my listeners, you know, tune me out for. But <laughs> so I think we've covered the metals market, why we should be investing in it, why it's a good thing, and why I personally am going to be adding some more metals to my portfolio. But with that being said, what would be the difference between the metals? So if you're going to invest and say, you know what, hearing everything I've heard, knowing what I know, doing more research after the episode, which you definitely should be doing, I've decided that I'm going to have more precious metals in my portfolio. What is the difference, if any, between investing in gold, silver, copper, or maybe an ETF that's just all precious metals in some kind of aggregate? Is there a benefit to choosing one over the other? Uh, I, I think you want to be a little bit in each of them to be diverse, right? You don't want to focus in on one and put all your eggs in one basket. They all have different timelines for different reasons. Gold would be a big hedge against inflation, hard asset. You know, it will it will do extremely well against a weaker economy or any kind of turmoil globally, whether it be wars or what have you, right? It's a great hedge. Um, copper is something that if you believe the world is going to refurbish itself and go to, you know, cleaner energy, and to go to you know better building materials. If you think the infrastructure needs to be upgraded wherever you are on the planet, copper is going to be your metal. Nickel and silver, they fall in there on the battery metal side with copper. They're, they're more into the world. If you believe the world's going to, you know, again, improve from where it is today and modernize, these are the metals that are going to drive it. But silver has the appeal that gold has as well. It's a monetary inflation hedge too. And, you know, so it has the double-edged sword, which is usually what gives it the best performing side of the equity. For my portfolio and where I'm invested, we have four companies. Um, One of them is is a pure gold company. It's called Fury Gold Mines. We have deposits that could become large mines in Canada. Geopolitical footprint is great, but we have that exposure to gold. We have ounces in the ground 
and we think we could find a lot more. So there's lower, lower risk in that company. In terms of copper, there's a company we have, it's not public yet, it'll be, it'll be public soon called Sombrero Resources. We are looking to find the world's 10th largest copper mine. There's a mine nearby, it's identical footprint, has some, some sampling on it that implies it's the same geology as the big mine next door. But this would be a massive push towards copper. So I have the exposure there. And which one's a more robust performer? They could equally be the same. Depends on how much volume we find because both metals are in flavor. You go to silver. We have a company called Tier 1 Silver. It's uh, down in Peru. It's next to some of the largest copper mines in the world. And it's got one of the most impressive footprints. And we're talking kilos of silver on surface over 20 square kilometers. I think that's about 12 square miles of where we've seen this ridiculous grade of silver and gold on surface. And we're drilling underneath it right now to try and find a silver gold discovery. And, you know, silver is tough to find. Those grades that I've talked about are beyond the rich side, getting up to 300 kilos of silver on surface. That's unheard of even globally across silver standards. It's very hard to find that. So that's silver. And then we have one more project or company in, in Chile called uh, Torque Resources, who's going after very similar to Sombrero, a huge copper, potential copper discovery down in Chile. And in Chile is the largest copper mine in the world. Escondida exists not too far from this project we're going after. So we have exposure to all. If you ask me which one am I most excited about if we make that discovery and, and we think we are in really good probability to make at least a few of these discoveries, I would have to argue with myself for about half an hour because <laughs> I know that silver is going to get the rocket kind of return the fastest. I know that the copper companies will be mines if we find what we're looking for that are going to be in production for 50 or 100 years. These are, these are multi-generational mines that we're looking to discover. I know that on the gold side, you know, in terms of the gold market, there's been a massive, massive haircut on gold stocks and a huge gap between profitability and towards that sector and sentiment to where it should be. So it's a contrarian purchase and we are largely discounted at the time with our project, but gold is harder to find. So I think there's, you know, a double positive for gold. Not only will it get the boost in price from the inflation and the debt crisis that is looming across the world globally, but I also think that it's harder to find gold. So it's going to remain being that very precious metal. I think gold could lead the charge and give you a bit of what silver does and what the big copper mine can do. I think, you know, we've had a lot of success in gold, but I love copper because I love big mines because huge money is made. The largest mining company in the world is BHP. They're about $160 billion market cap. That's it. Um, Newmont, I don't know the exact number off today, but I think they're around 40 or 50, 50 or $60 billion market cap. I mean, this is the difference between the biggest gold and the biggest base metal company on the planet. Either way, those are my favorite metals. I understand them the most. I can, I mean, I use copper on a daily basis as well as nickel. And I've, I've seen uses of silver in solar, which we're looking to put on our house here in Phoenix. I see the demand for solar going through the roof as well out of China. I see a lot of people going in the direction of these metals. And as an eternal gold bug, you know, and, and, and many criticize it as the old metal, the old currency. That's the, that's the value of it. It's stable. It has history. It has fundamental, you know, you can touch it, physical properties. It's safer, you know, and if I'm going to have exposure, I want it to be things that could go up magnitudes 10 to 20 times. And that's how I view all of our share prices. That's the potential in them. But I also want to do it in things that I can touch, not, not things that like, you know, that are doing really well for people, cryptocurrencies that I don't understand much about, right? Absolutely. Now, I do have one thing I got to call you on. 
Yes. Did you on purpose make the joke about residential demand for solar power being through the roof? It was uh, a pun. I'm a dad, <laughs> so I get my dad jokes too. And uh, and it's it's actually a, it's a pun that came out accidentally, and I, I heard it after I said it. But yes, yes, I did. <laughs> I heard that my dad alarm went off. Like, hold on, did he just try to sneak that in there? <laughs> it was it was unintentional, but it but it fit the pun well. <laughs> but hey, as long as it works. <laughs> So we've talked about why you should go over, you know, gold versus silver versus copper and the belief system you have to have for those metals to where you should invest in one over the other. But let me ask you this. Is there a benefit to investing in each of them individually and managing that? Like just saying, I want 15% gold, 50% silver, whatever, versus just a precious metals ETF that holds all of them. Yeah. I like to be more specific. You know, I think you find ETFs in base metals, ETFs in precious metals. So you can you can play the space that way. I would say the word you're looking for is balance across your portfolio. And you're going to like some more than others. You do want a pure silver play if you can find one that you want to invest into because that has its own price performance that will will be, you know, that that kind of rocket return investors look for if if the company gets it right. I like to be specific in each commodity. So if you're going to do the ETF route and you want to take the shortcut, just buy a base metal ETF, buy a gold ETF or a precious metal ETF that will cover both base and precious metals. And that's the simplest way to invest. If you want to be company specific and a stock player, um, you know, that's that's a whole new world. And it's I've been doing this for 21 years and I'm still trying to figure out the best investments, right? There's so many different facets. There's so many different reputations amongst management teams. There's so many different variables to try and figure out. And you know, it really comes down to if you're going to choose a stock and you don't know much about the industry, you're not a geologist, you're not a seasoned veteran, you've got to go and look at past performance of people. And you have to say, you know, what has this person done? There's a saying in our business, you're as good as your last deal. What was the person's last deal? We've had two great successful deals leading up to now. And we split a company into three shares, two of which are trading, the third should trade soon. And that model, you know, and that thinking is very aligned because we're very large shareholders in our companies with what we're trying to achieve, which is exuberant wealth for investors because we are large investors, right? There are a few other groups that do what we do in the industry. Everybody has a style, reputation, and so on. And we don't always get it perfect because this is the business of hunting for treasure hunts, you know, looking for big gold mines, copper mines, silver mines, what have you, right? What I will say though, is if somebody has delivered a big success for its investors previously, if somebody has found a mine for somebody previously and people have made money during that process, these are the kind of things that you want to invest with. It takes very limited due diligence. You can call the CEO of the company, or the investor relations of the company and say, look, I'm considering investing. I heard about this company on the podcast, and I'd like to know a bit more about the track record of the CEO, or I'd like to know what your last company did and did people make money or lose money on it, right? These are the rules. And if I'm going to go into the tech or the crypto, and or if I'm going to go down to the any type of business outside of mining, that would be the way that I would find my way in through investments. But for the most part, you know, I think you can start generally with the ETFs. They don't get the same upside that you would get out of a specific company. 
If you're going to buy specific companies and try to be a stock picker based on the, the comments I just made, I would say spread your risk, one copper, one nickel, one silver, one gold company. And that way you'll be diversified enough that if one of those metals take off and, the, and it goes into a bull market, you win. And if they make a discovery, it will also help you in case one management team is better than the other. And you still get the chance to get the return that you might be looking for. I think that's very interesting with the instead of looking at maybe the financials of the company and what their future prospects are, your recommendation is to look at the management teams and what have they done previously. That's the first time I've heard that. And I think that's a very interesting way to look at it. And it's definitely, I mean, I'm a full-time credit analyst and 90% of what I do is what have they done lately or what have they done over the last few years? What's their history, whatever. So this is my first time really hearing about that, about, oh, track down the management team, see what they've done. So thank you for that. That's a very interesting way to think about that. And then as far as those individual companies, one each totally makes sense. What do you recommend as far as finding these companies? Like, I imagine there's something more intensive than just Googling best silver companies. There's a couple of websites that I frequent quite a bit. And, um, you know, one I frequent for very, very useful economic information, specifically charts specifically state of gold and copper supply demand. It's called King World News. And the gentleman who runs the, the website, Eric King, I know very well. He's been an investor with some of our past successes and he's an investor with us today. And, I, and I'm not trying to give him a plug here, but go look at his website. Look at his interviews with people like Pierre Lassant, who's built the largest gold company in the world called Newmont. Uh, this is a, a billionaire that has returned better returns than anyone else in a mining company while he was there. Um, look at his interviews with certain key strategist economists, economists, look at his interviews with certain people from the government and get your own assessment. This will first give you the backdrop of what the gold, silver, copper market may be doing. He's got a lot of very, very good charts, a lot of very good information. It's, you know, it doesn't come across as a as like a Bloomberg when you look at it, but the information is fresh, it's live to the minute. And it gives you state of play more often than not. Now, anybody that covers, you know, silver, gold, or any metals of consequence, we're all going to get it close to being perfect on the micro picture, but we're no one's going to predict micro movements in those prices. They're going to predict macro movements that are coming. So whenever you read or hear something optimistic, give it time. Time is going to take away risk. If you have a short time horizon, you might get it but that's going to increase the risk. Now, another site that a lot of people use, I use it as well, is called Kitco. They have the live gold price. They have their own feed. They have silver. There's Kitco metals, which gives you base metals. There's a lot of commentary there. And you know everybody has a bias in every industry and our industry is not any different that way, but they also have a lot of very useful information. And you know, if you want to do yourself a great favor in terms of seeing at the state of a market in terms of gold, look at the GDXJ. That's an ETF, the gold index for juniors. And go look at where it was, look at where it is, and just draw the lines in the chart and decide where would be a good time to buy and where would be a good time to sell and decide whether you're at the top or the bottom of the chart in that equation. Looking at some things like that, following those websites, you'll see the commentaries, you'll see a lot of industry experts read about who the person is. You know, um, on Eric King's website, they have Sean Boyd. He's the CEO of Agnico Eagle, one of the best performing and growing gold companies in the last 20 years. 
listen to their insights in these interviews. These are people that that I look up to for my source of knowledge and pathway forward and decision making in this business, right? So there's so many more people I'm not giving the time and attention to. Those are two good websites that will give you both economic information and metal information at the same time. There's, you know, obviously um, several other ones. There's probably about 50 different websites you can go to. I'm giving you the most basic ones to start with that are not overly scientific and boring that you're going to get lost into really cool data. I'm trying to get you into a bit more of the temperature, latest commentary, brief to the point kind of sources of information that are very pragmatic and logical in terms of making sense, right? So that those are some of the places I would suggest going. That's just a lot of information. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep it simple, but I, I want to give you rationale why and where to go as well. Um, but, uh, you know, for, from that perspective, it's a new industry for many that are probably listening here. And, you know, how do I go buy a gold stock? Which gold stock do I buy? Everybody who's a CEO in a gold company sounds the same. You know, who is the best person? Call that CEO up. Call me up, call anybody up and, and, and that you're thinking of investing with or something sounds intriguing and uh, just ask for the track record. Ask why their chart is upside down to where it should be if things are so good. Just, just talk to the companies. I mean, you will get such a good answer and such a path forward and just don't, don't over invest into one company. Spread it out over a few so that you have exposure to multiple companies and you take the risk down. But you know, we're at a point here, Alex, where you don't have to be an expert resource investor because of point of cycle. You know, A, in August, we are at the end of a seasonal low in our sector, meaning everything usually trades poorly. This is the quietest week of the year in our business. Conferences start up for us in September and through mid-September, we get to some of the bigger mining conferences globally. And then it's really busy and, and gold performs well through September, October. It comes off in November and takes off again in February. So there's some really good opportunities in front of us here right now. I don't have a problem with anybody listening to pound the table on the desk because I think this mining market is due. It's going towards that Uber bull market, that mania that we've seen in, in Bitcoin or the dot coms or you know we've seen in with Apple and a lot of those big tech companies. We are headed in that direction. You can't really get it wrong. Don't buy anything, but make sure you call the company that you buy before you invest. Okay. Sounds like some excellent advice to me. Now, just to sort of wind us down a little bit, I know you gave us those two introductory websites and for everyone listening, that is going to be listed in the description below, but would you mind going into some more maybe in-depth resources or just maybe some other resources about if people want to be studying the precious metals market, the base metals market, and you know, for people who really want to dive into it, because, you know, we might have people who listen to this episode and then want to come back to it in a couple of weeks, a couple of months and say, okay, well, what's the next step? Yeah. So, so that's a, that's a really tough question to answer because there's so many different layers of investments on mining websites. You can go to mining.com, you can go to the Northern miner, which is a, is a massive publication. It's more technically focused. So it focuses on the quality of the science that all of these mining entrepreneurs are looking for mines or, or mining companies have, and they categorize it into stories. You know, there's no real easy answer to give anybody a straight platform. I wish there was, we'd probably all use it. I would stick around, you know, you can go mining.com. I would stick around Kitco, the one I mentioned before, the ones and King World News. I would stick around the basic ones for now. Um, you can dive further with analyst reports. When you see analysts commentating on certain stocks, you know, you can, you're an analyst yourself. You can look at the performance of the analyst 
of what they've picked previously, you can call them up. They generally have their phone numbers available on their actual, the company's corporate presentations. And I would call them directly. And there's no silly question to ask in the mining industry. There's no level of knowledge that needs to be there. You can ask the most basic question to get the most basic answer. But, um, you know, from us, I, I guess we have conferences that become very, very worthwhile to attend. The biggest conference in the world is the PDAC held in Toronto every year. You can attend that, I believe, virtually next year because of COVID. I think it's still going to stay virtual. Um, there's a conference coming up here in the near term called the Beaver Creek Precious Metal Summit and the Denver Gold Show. These are invite only to companies and also to investors, but these are conferences that generally you can go to their websites and post-conference, you can watch all the presentations from all the CEOs. And so if you want to learn about what people are doing, you know, and, and what their plan is, you know, and if it makes sense to you or not, that's where you go. Anytime you come across a company that has analysts who follow or recommend the company's share prices to be purchased at a price above their current price, I would encourage you to call the analyst, you know, and, and, and for all the analyst phones that are going to blow up. Um, I don't really apologize because they're very well versed. They don't get paid by the companies. They're unbiased. And they can give you perspective, not only on the companies, but they can also talk about the gold market, right? So yeah, there's there's a lot of places you can go, but those are some basic places to start, some rules of, of engagement of how I'd suggest you go do it. And you know, from there, I think it shouldn't be too hard to decipher you know, something worth investing into, but reminding yourself that this industry is, is foreign to you and you shouldn't put too many eggs in it first until you get a proper handle on source of information and, you know, a plan or a management team that makes sense to you. Well, all righty. Well, let me ask you this. If my audience wants to learn more about you, more about Fury Gold Mines, more about Sombrero Resources and your third one, Tier 1 Silver, where can my audience go to find out more about you or your companies? So all of those companies you just mentioned, Fury Gold Mines, Tier 1 Silver, and Sombrero Resources, they all have websites. And you can go to each one of their websites. You will find my bio. You will find a presentation that generally includes part of our track record in it. And my email is real simple. It's Ivan at FuryGoldMines.com or Ivan at Tier1Silver.com or Ivan at SombreroResources.com. And anyone who would like more information. Um, <laughs> you know, I know you're not supposed to give your email out, but um, I'm really excited about what we're up to and about the turn in the market. And you know, I think it's I'm open to anyone who wants my time. All righty. Well, I thank you for that. And now for the last question that I usually ask, and I don't like to prepare people for it. So for the audience out there, I haven't warned Ivan this was coming, but all of you probably know it's coming. Ivan, if you were to give us one mic drop statement of something that you'd like to leave us with, what would that be? Okay. Yeah, I think about this. Okay. One mic drop comment. Okay. The mining investment sector that we're about to enter in is going to be the most robust mania we've ever seen in the history of the mining investment community due to the supply, the demand, and the global events that are taking place both politically and financially across the world. I don't know what year it's going to start, but my anticipations in the next two or three years, where every single junior company that trades below a dollar can trade above a dollar, every single company that trades around a dollar can trade into the in the double digits, and some stocks will go into the hundreds of dollars a share, as we've seen in past mining markets. That's the market we're headed towards. Well, alrighty, that's definitely something to look forward to. At least if you're someone who does their research, again, don't just make investment choices based off a podcast. 
make sure you're looking at those resources. Ivan went above and beyond to give you all kinds of things to go look for, things to read about, and some analysts to harass, um, call. <laughs> so be sure to be checking that out. Ivan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate every moment of your time today. Thank you, Alex. It was, it was great to be here. And, uh, and thank you, listeners, for listening to the podcast. Uh, looking forward to a very exciting future on all fronts. Absolutely. Me too. And for those of you at home, make sure you're checking out some of these resources. Go check out Ivan and his various companies. And while you're doing that, I will see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.